Jesus um, as we interact every day at home with our relatives, with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our community. I pray, Lord God, that even today through this whole message that your Holy Spirit would be the one who's really speaking into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, hey, today, um, I actually disrupted our regular series. I know it's uh, next week, Pastor Roland's going to kick off our Dressed for Every Season Christmas series. And we're actually resetting the stage uh, here. Today, I'm going to be talking about friendship evangelism. And we're going to take a little bit of a moment for some church coaching and conversation. Um, but I wanted to sort of say before I get started, uh, Deco. We need a lot of help with Deco. Zero people came from the appeal um, last Sunday. And so there were only a very few of us. And we spent most of our time actually clearing the old Deco and vacuuming the mess we made from clearing the old Deco. So um, if you're keen to help us out, uh, by next week, we've got to get everything sort of Christmassy uh, planned. We've got, a, we've got a team of people that are kind of helping out, but we've, it's basically three people. And so we need a lot of hands and feet um, to set this place up, our whole foyer up, um, to make it look Christmassy and uh, clothes-oriented. Um, also, we have a family Christmas, um, I guess, celebration that's coming up. Our The one that was on Friday night, the... I guess the adult Christmas celebration, that's sold out. And so if you are hearing today's message and you get really, really convicted about, wow, I need to bring some friends, I need to invite some friends along for Christmas, pretty much the only opportunity you have now is our Saturday Christmas. I mean, unless you're high schoolers, then they can go for the golden mushroom. You get the 1830 end of year rooftop barbecue, which is fantastic. But I, I particularly want to talk about our family's Christmas celebration because there will be a little bit of a gospel presentation at that. It will be a fantastic event um, with um, kids' activities and um, celebratory kind of things around. It's quite affordable. I think they've got it at like $7.50 through to $10.00. Um, for lunch, right? So you can uh, invite school friends along, family friends along to that and just kind of celebrate Christmas um, together. So that's the one I think if you're thinking of bringing a friend, um, I've even gotten permission from Quinton to like, if you have no kids, but you like eating candy cane and stuff, you're also welcome to come. So um, it, it's kind of an open Christmas event and uh, pretty much, unfortunately, that's the only one we have space uh, for at the moment. Okay, I'm going to kick off and we're going to roll straight into Scripture. Um, as you know, I really love the Bible. I think the words in Scripture are way more um, significant than anything I could say. And so we're going to anchor today's sermon um, on um, a snippet in the life of Jesus Christ. And it struck me that Jesus... so. One, we're going to the Gospels. Luke, uh, he was a doctor, and he, he tried to, as uh, much as possible, sort of recount the events. So it, this is, Luke is uh, part one of a two-part book that was written by Luke. Luke and then Acts, right? And 
uh, what I like about it is it gives you a snapshot to how Jesus did evangelism. It gives you a snapshot as to how Jesus conducted himself as a person. And I'm hoping you'll see as we read this that it was very, very, very different from the Pharisees or the religious people of the day. Um, and I'll highlight a few things as we, after we read this. But let's go into it. Uh, it's Luke 19, 1 to 10. Uh, and he, which is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus, he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they which is all the religious onlookers, everybody around, grumbled. He, which is Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, he also is a son of Abraham. And then he ends that kind of account, which I think the key one-liner for the passage. He explains something about himself. He explains something about the heart of God. Um, and he gives us, I think, a very big key to how we could even live out the Great Commission, how we can go about um, interacting with the world. And he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So even back then, let's just put this in context. Even back then, what you did to be saved, what you did if you wanted to tell people about God and, you know, um, help them on like the right path, what you would do is you would go to the temple or the synagogue or you would invite people. The equivalent would be you would invite people to church. You would have to basically, if you wanted to help somebody with their life, they would have to be first brought in to where the religious or the good people were. Jesus actually flips that around. He's going to somebody else's house. It's very, very clear the kind of shock that is uh, evident in what Jesus does because other people saw it and they grumbled. So clearly what Jesus is doing, you can just tell by the reactions that take place, is he's doing something unexpected, not the norm for the time, but he's also doing something that is very against good behavior. Right, because you're not supposed to hang out with sinners and unclean things. They had very strict rules about what they could and could not uh, do. And, um, but Jesus almost didn't care. There was a part of Jesus 
that went out to seek. There was a part of Jesus that deliberately left the comfort zone of wherever the 99 sheep were. And went out looking and seeking the lost. Um, Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector. Very much hated by um, the Jews. All right, because, and just a quick history, I know most of you have heard this already before, but uh, the tax collectors were in a separate category of their own. So the Bible would often talk about sinners and tax collectors because sinners were bad, but tax collectors were worse <laughs> because basically they were under Roman occupation and um, one part of Rome's strategy was to get the country's own people to work for them, to tax their own people, because they, they, they couldn't enforce taxes themselves very well. It would lead to a lot of conflict. So they would, they would pick somebody who would be a Jew, then give them the job of being a tax collector, arm them with guards, and say, look, you go collect taxes, give us this amount, and we don't actually care how much you tax. And so very frequently, tax collectors would take more they didn't have online tax calculation <laughs> apps, you know, back in those days. So they would basically come up and go, you owe this much to the government. Here are all my gods. You owe this much. And they would take more. They would give to Rome what was due, and they would keep the rest for themselves. And he, Zacchaeus, was the chief tax collector. That means he probably took a cut from every other tax collector as well. So not only do the regular people hate him, probably the tax collectors also hate him. Not many friends. Not many friends. That's, you can tell that because he's got, you know how you hear these parables um, in the Bible and they're, they're the lame men and their friends carry him along. Zacchaeus, he's solo. Nobody's carrying, he's short, nobody's carrying him. He has to sort things out himself. So that's a clue. But he's kind of friendless. But he's keen for contact with Jesus. He's hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus. Um, but Jesus does so much more than just a glimpse. Jesus goes to his house. Jesus spends time with him. Jesus honors him by actually um, being a guest at his house. And she, you have to understand, again, modern culture is so different. If, if somebody invited themselves to your house today, right, that would just be irritating and troublesome, right? You'd be like, oh, you know, I'm not ready. I got to get the place ready. I got to, right? Like, so when we read that Jesus invited himself over to somebody's house, in today's modern environment, that comes across kind of imposing, kind of a bit rude. But the culture of hospitality back in those days was, that was the greatest honor. That was so amazing. And you can tell that it was so amazing because of Zacchaeus' reaction. So one of these things you can do when you do Bible study is you can, because Luke, he's very brief about his account. One of the things you can do when you study the Bible is you look at the reactions. Like, how do you know there's an explosion at the place? Because everybody's running away right? How do you know that this was a good thing for Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus says, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So you know that Jesus was broadly doing a great thing 
for Zacchaeus. And actually, it was so great. And Zacchaeus received it so well, his whole life ended up being changed, right? So you can, you can definitely tell that it's a significant moment and something that he welcomed. It's like somebody who's very keen to show you their hobby. I don't know, their train set or their camera collection or something like that, right? And then you say, hey, I'll come over to your house and see your Disney collection. You're like, woohoo! And then you start pulling out things, all of it, right? That's how enthusiastic um, Zacchaeus was, that Jesus came to his house. What's very clear in this passage is Jesus was the one who made that move. Jesus was the one who went and he went to seek and save the lost. He left the 99 to look for the one. And what I think is so significant about this passage is that it echoes the parables that Jesus told, right? So we know about, he would tell the parable of the lost coin. He would tell the, the parable of the lost sheep. He would tell the parable of the prodigal son, the person who, um, who loses something and goes searching for it. But what's different about this is this is Jesus living out in his real life the parable that he's talking. So Jesus is not just a, a great rabbi and teacher. He gets around and says, oh, you should do this. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. And he disappears. He actually then lived that out in his day-to-day -day ministry. He was doing something that good shepherds themselves do. Zacchaeus, the Bible doesn't record what happens to Zacchaeus, but Christian tradition does. So the bishop of Alexandria, his writings are still available to us today. His name's Clement. Very cool name. Anyway, he mentions Zacchaeus. And he says that Zacchaeus grows faithfully as a Christian and ultimately becomes the bishop of Caesarea. All right? So we know that this story has real world impact. So today, I'm going to let's take a look at, it's no point talking about evangelism and friendships and things like that, um, unless it's going to be connected into our real world. So I pre-prepared seven testimonies. I'm going to invite the seven people that I called up on Friday to come up here on the stage. If you could stand over here. And we're going to hear, uh, if you can come up right now. Yep, um, Sophia, Paul, Gabriel, Sean, Tony, Keith, Bernard. Awesome, thank you. Coming up. Um, I didn't give them much notice. Uh, today you're going to hear seven testimonies, real life testimonies of how regular people that we know have interacted in their normal life to go a little bit out of their comfort zone um, to share about Jesus, all right? Um, they've promised me to keep to 30 seconds, but maybe we'll allow them like a minute. That'll be seven minutes of testimonies. All right, ready? Here we go. Hi, I'm Sophia, and this is a story of intertwined lives, and I didn't realize that I would be the only woman here. So this is a story of two women here. I met Li Cheng at our son's crash 25 years ago. When our sons went off to school, we lost touch until 2001, when I found out that she worked at my solicitor's office. At her prompting, 
I bought my current house and I became her neighbour and started tramming to work in the city together. When FGAM started line dancing programme around 2004, we tried it. Li Cheng took to it like a duck to water, whereas I stumbled around as though I have two left feet. On Good Friday morning in 2004, I woke up with my heart thumping with the impression that I must invite Li Cheng to join me to attend Good Friday service. FGAM doesn't have Good Friday service, so we go somewhere else. Praise the Lord that Li Chen went forward at the altar call and she accepted Christ that day. Today, Li Cheng, Li Cheng, please stand up. Li Cheng is quietly leading the HGM line dancing group since 2012. Together with Evelyn Tan, an experienced teacher, they have blessed many dancers and audiences at FGM and other community events. Let us appreciate, I didn't ask you to sit down. <laughs> let, us, let us appreciate and honour my sister Li Cheng for her quiet, for her quiet, conscientious service for the last six years and many more years to come. All glory and praise to God. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Some two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I came back from our tour of South America that covers uh, five countries, very hectic. But uh, God just opened up um, the, the atmosphere because when we introduce ourselves, each one have the icebreaker to introduce where your background is. And <clears throat> we have this situation where there was one from UK whose name is David. He has got diabetes. He's very fat, obese. But on the second day, they have to rush him to hospital because his legs was very swollen, pus coming out of it. But we gather <coughs> ourselves and we pray. And we say that, Lord, you heal. <coughs> so as a result of it, we heard the news from the hospital a day later that there's no need for operation, that uh, they will just clean up the thing. And secondly... Uh, there was another one, Barbara, who was struck with bronchitis. Again, we say, let us pray. My wife and I, we lead the team. And uh, that includes, by the way, there was 26 of us in the tour. And that includes three Hindus. So we join hands together and we pray. So God uh, opens up and she was healed of her bronchitis instantly. And a third one, uh, also water. In fact, he was on a flight, and because he couldn't breathe, he was so in dire need, the oxygen mask has to come down and, you know, for him to breathe. And then we gather around him, and when we pray that the power of God will heal him, and he was able to even walk to Iguazu Falls. Praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> um, at the same time, during that period, according to the weather forecast, to go up to this Michupi, Machu Picchu, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, the forecast was very dire. It's going to storm and rain and so on. And there again, they say, Paul, can you please pray? But before that, can you pack each one of you, pack your spare trousers, your spare shoes, and whatever spare that may be. And then we pray. And guess what? The sun shines. 
And then when we went to the glaciers, same thing, same request. The weather forecast was astonishing. So we pray and the sun rose again and shined for us. And hallelujah. But better still, two days ago, I received a call from one of the sisters uh, from America who was in the tour. He rang me up, she rang me up and said, can you pray for me? So I prayed for her and she promised me that this Sunday, which is tomorrow because of the time difference, she will go to church. Amen. Um, so hi everyone, my name is Gabriel. I'm going to keep it quite short. Um, ever since coming to Australia, um, FGA has been a community for myself. Um, I grew up here with my parents and also quite a number of people here. Um, but outside of church, I've also got a community uh, with my family friends, which um, Sean and a couple of other guys like Nick as well is part of. So um, I would come to church, but I felt really lonely. So I would invite Sean and Nick to come along with me as well. Um, but it wasn't until one of the camps that we attended where I um, met God. And Sean and Nick were also there with me too. And that's how I came to know Christ. Good morning, church. My name is Sean. I will also keep this fairly short as well. <laughs> Ten seconds, I hope. Um, yeah, so as Gero mentioned before, we're family friends. We've known each other since we were 13, so that's like 14, 15 years ago. Long time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I also gave my life to God um, I, I, on a youth night. It was. It wasn't before, it was before fungus came about, but um, that was just the start of something new. So when fungus first started in 2004, uh, we had this culture, we had this... Um, this thing where, like, we wanted to bring our friends and our um, school friends as well. So at that time, we didn't have uh, iPhones or anything like that. We had bubble tea. Um, what else did we have? Soccer. That's probably the best thing we got uh, in our generation at that time. Um, but at that time at school, I, I remember, you know, not knowing the consequences or what could go wrong. I just, just started telling people, like, oh, do you want to come to fungus? And their first reaction is, what is fungus? It's kind of like the odd things like, you know, mushrooms, no. Um, but yeah, and I think that's how it started. And um, one of the people that came to church is Tony, and he's going to pass it on, for, start from there. Nice attempt, Sean. I'll, I'll show you short. Okay. Um, so I'm Tony. I met Sean in high school in year seven. And around 04 was when I first came to FGA. And around that same time, I became a Christian as well. Um, and then my idea was that when I was to do this, I would definitely have to bring my best friend with me. So I decided to bring Keith here. And if it wasn't for Sean, honestly speaking, because I'm from a non-Christian home, I don't think I would have heard the gospel at all. So yeah, friendship, evangelism. Sean. All right, also try to keep it short as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Keith. Um, I've been friends with Tony for quite some time. Um, and obviously... Um, um, he was the first person to um, really um, bring me to church. Um, so he invited me to Fungus Rally. I was like, what's Fungus? As Gabriel said. Um, and I think the thing that hooked me on was games and prizes. So as a 12-year-old boy, you know, that's something that you look out for. Um, but I think, yeah, um, just having that friendship uh, with Tony, um, he, was be he was able to um, continue to just invite me and um, that's where I came to one of the fungus camps, and that's where I got saved. Um, hello. <laughs> my name is Bernard, and um, I'm just going to share about how I outreach to my friends. 
So a few friends and I have a worship group on Monday lunchtimes in school where we share her fellowship and worship God. And so pretty much I outreach to my friends by firstly always being approachable, open, and um, open to whatever they say and always be being friendly. Um, and then secondly, if they ever needed anything, I would ask if I could pray for them. And if they didn't want me to, obviously that was okay. I would just pray for them in my own time. And then thirdly, I would invite them to the worship group on Mondays and even fungus. And whilst doing that, I actually eased my way into telling them about God. And they feel, they feel really comfortable with me being a Christian and that I can share about God. And the fact that they can hear what I have to say about God lead, uh, plants a seed that leads into something much, much bigger. Thank you. Fantastic. Wow. Um, so we didn't really deliberately come up with this list. It was just, I threw a bunch of requests out there and it was just whoever um, agreed. But I thought it would be so helpful for us to see what happens behind the scenes um, of how regular Christians share their faith, interact, um, interact with other people. You know, it's kind of like the account of Zacchaeus. We're all called at some level to bleed our Christianity, our faith into every single part of our normal lives. So that whether it, you know, when Gabriel says family friends, I think he just means they were the kids of Peter and Jessica who invited all their friends along. And then the kids had to play in a room somewhere. At night, right? And then they eventually became friends and then came along. And then Sean would invite his classmate from school. And then his classmate from school would invite the guy who practically lived in his house. Uh, I remember Keith, <laughs> you know, sharing. And they, they were like best friends. And so this is kind of how um, our faith can bleed into our normal real lives. But how did this session, how did we get around to talking even about this? And so I want to give you a little bit of a snapshot um, as to why I've interrupted our regular series to spend some time talking about this as a church. Um, a few months ago, I got invited up to ICC up in Brisbane to speak at their Synergy Conference. Um, they had a Russian bishop come to speak. Bishop Alexei Rudenki from uh, Volgograd in Russia. And he oversees hundreds of churches. Uh, and Jono and I, we sat down with this guy because we were staying uh, at Jono's house. And he, so he's the guy on, on, on the left. And he, he doesn't speak English. Jono is so brave. He's always inviting these speakers. They can't speak English at all. And then they, go, and so they require an interpreter. So um, we spend the afternoon chatting because I'm like, wow, how often do I get to sit down with a Russian bishop? You know, 40% or something of their country is Christian. Christianity, he says, is like is, is vibrant and going through a little bit of a, a hidden revival, unreported revival uh, at the moment in, in his church. So we're like, great. Let's sit down with this guy on Jono's expense because he flew him over and pick his brain. And so we're sitting down and we're talking through. Um, 
and we ask him, hey, what's happening with Christianity in Russia? And he begins with this sentence, which, is, which was translated. The church is not meant to be doing evangelism. I'm like, what? The church is... Yes, the church is not meant to be doing evangelism. I'm thinking something is lost in translation here, right? Um, and he, he continues and he says to us, the church is terrible at it. Terrible. The programs we run for evangelism get such small percentage of people saved. On an average Sunday, how many people actually accept Christ in, in your church meetings? Um, and then so, Jono and I, were like, clearly Asian. We're in defensive mode. So we're like, we start naming people. Oh, you know, there was a person who Googled FGA and they came along to our service and now they're in our church. And so we're all naming heaps of examples of, of why churches can do amazing evangelistic programs. And then he says to us, okay, okay, okay. Maybe some people get saved. But how many in your church came to Christ because of a relative or a friend? And we're like, oh, maybe the majority. In his circle of churches, he, re he knows, I was going to say he records, but he knows that over 90% have come. You know why? They do surveys like the one we <laughs> did today. They actually have stats to back up the fact that the majority of evangelism that takes place in churches actually happens at a relative and friendship level. That if all of FGA, our grand plan to help God and partner with Him for um, the evangelism a mission, if our grand plan was to run programs or to get people to come to Sunday service, Bishop Alexi was saying, it's not going to go that well. What you need to do is unlock friendship. Unlock people at home just regularly talking about their faith. Regularly involving Christ in their life. And he said, which is why I was so convicted, I pushed all the series aside and plugged this in just before we kick off the Christmas season. Just in case you think that our broad strategy for evangelism is run a Christmas program somewhere. That's not it. Because we're coming to a very crucial season for the kingdom of God right now. But he went on to say, imagine somebody who doesn't know God or anything about the Bible. And so you being a very good Christian, you're like, oh, why don't you come to church service? Why don't you, right? And basically outsource the preaching of the gospel to Pastor Roland or myself or something like that, right? Um, so they come in. Can you imagine them? They come into worship. They're confused about what is happening. Why are people speaking in tongues? What is going on? You're uh, explaining some biblical text from an ancient language, from a culture that, that doesn't quite um, reflect today. There's so many questions that then goes through that new visitor's head. Why are they doing this? What about this? What about this? Right? If they don't have a friend... 
that they can discuss this with. They can process the journey of their dialoguing of faith, or sort out their kind of issues and their questions of the faith. If they don't have a friend, they're likely to just tap out. That person, he or she, needs someone to talk to. So he was pitching to Jono and I. He was pitching to us that the church, and I think I figured out what he means when he said church. I think he means church service because we are the church. And so he, he actually clearly had a plan for the church, right, to do evangelism. But I think what he meant, though, was a little bit lost in translation, was what he meant is like the Sunday gathering church or the organization church, right? But he was like, the church is for the building of disciples, Because what we're supposed to do when we gather together is equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Because what we're supposed to do is have very tough conversations about your own Christian life, about um, growing more in Christian maturity. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be building up disciples for the work of the ministry. In fact, he was so against the watering down of church services so that People could just come in. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to water down. We're supposed to be hardcore in prayer. He was so focused on prayer, the prophetic. God is supposed to be moving. There's supposed to be hardcore teaching of Scripture. So um, he, he comes from like an Orthodox background, uh, evangelical. Um, so he, he kind of went evangelical. And they're so grounded in the Word. So he's like, you need to preach even the obscure, hard passages of Scripture. And then all of the shallow, friendly, easy to connect parts of church life, they happen in your home. They happen in your school. They happen on the, on the sidewalk when you're, you're chatting with your neighbor. That's where it's supposed to be seeker friendly. That's, suppo- that's, where, it, that's where you encounter people and, and, and chat. And we're like, oh, wow. Yeah, and he was, so he was going on and on about, you know, his Russian services. And he's like, Russians like scolding people. They like telling it as it is. We're not like those Americans who make everything look good, you know. And then so he was like, oh, oh we're, we're like that. We're, you know, Asians are like that too, you know. We're, and so we were having this conversation. He was pitching us for very, very hardcore church, non-apologetic church. But. Activating the church to have great friendships outside of church. Great friendships outside of church. So today, for the rest of the 15 minutes, I'm going to go till 45, um, we're going to talk about friendship. Because what was evident in our discussion between the three of us was we have no training on Sundays about how to be a good friend. So we're just going to be talking Nothing super theological. We're just going to be talking about how we all can be good friends. Not even with a particular agenda in mind. Jesus genuinely cared for people. That's why we have songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? Um, So let's talk about practically, practically then, how can we be good friends? I think... We have lost, I heard, um, so I think we have lost the art of friendship and the importance of friendship as a society. So here's a good example. I heard 
Um, when you're a kid at kinder, what do your parents tell you? What do they wish for you? Oh, I hope, I hope my kid has good friends. I hope they make good friends at school. In kinder, when they go to primary school, oh, I hope I hope they have a bunch of really good friends at, at primary school. High school, whoa, very important. I hope they make good friends. You know, like good for them friends in high school because it's such an important influence. Then you get to uni and they can drive and they get parties and can do whatever they want and occasionally study. And you think, and the parents say to the kids. I hope they make, they choose really good friends, maybe a good life partner, good friends. But then, what happens after you finish uni? I hope they get a job. <laughs> right? And then it kicks off your working life. And you're, they're no longer saying, oh, I hope you have good friends at work. I hope you're not, everybody's going, I hope you get married, have a kid, whatever. Like you're saying all these types of things, but friendship kind of, takes a back seat. And I'm seeing that even with um, young adults or, or parents of kids now, that we don't have time for good friendships. So we have very, very shallow, very, very low-touch friendships that kind of like, oh, I've been friends with this person for a really, really long time. I better touch base once in a while. Otherwise, we'll completely lose touch. That kind of Low-level, shallow-level friendship is not good friendship. That low-level friendship will not get us to the kind of deep life issues and questions that your friend wants to ask. That your friend, who actually, as people need the Lord, actually needs to discuss. Right? Because we, at some level, we've lost the art of deep, good friendships. You know, there's a large insurance company in America that did a study, um, and they've now ranked loneliness at the same level of impact as obesity and smoking as a health risk. Because what's happening is, um, and you know, they call this the uh, social media paradox. The promise of social media is that we will have more friends. But what it ended up being is, we ended up having more Facebook friends and being connected to more people, but shallower. So now, we are more connected, but more lonely. And when I say more lonely, you can pick any sociological study on loneliness, and you'll see that the trend is up. So how does this, how does friendship then, how can good godly friendship look like? Well, here's an example. I just, I made this up. Uh, but here's a good example, right? Um, you basically, you live your life faithfully. You follow God faithfully. God is alive, vibrant in your life. Then, you make friends, regular people around the place, right? Then you go deeper in friendship with them. You get interested in their life. You get involved in their life, Right? And then you just spend a lot of time doing very trivial things, not epic Bible verse -y things, right? Which I'll talk a little bit about later. Okay. Then when they are ready, they will go to someone they trust and know. And then maybe you're the person they turn to. Maybe then, after a while of dialoguing about faith, you can bring them to church and then you'll be there to answer the questions about all the weird stuff that happens at church and all the weird people <laughs> that you meet at church. 
because um, you're then journeying with them in their discovery of God. That's what Jesus did. He journeyed with Zacchaeus on his discovery of God. It wasn't distant. It was at his home. So, three points. How do we do this? How can we make good friends? One, hospitality and interaction. Hospitality and interaction. Let's go to Zacchaeus again. Jesus stepped it up. All right? He went out of his way to go to somebody else's house. Um, an unclean, like you're not supposed to go to that person's house kind of house. All right? Uh, I want to put it to you that Christians, we need to get out there. That means we need to start hanging out at sporting venues, uh, hanging back after work and catching up with friends over there, uh, gaming at a friend's house or whatever it is. Like, we need to be actually out where people are. That's what Jesus was doing. He was not in church where the people weren't. I have a friend, Guy Mason, uh, and we were chatting when he was just starting up his church. I was a kids pastor, he was a youth pastor, and he started his church in a pub. Um, it's now become city on a hill. Um, it means that as Christians, we're going out and we're spending time with others. Think of all of your Christmas functions. If you can, in your head, think, oh, Christmas is coming. Think about the, the parties that you're having in your home, the, the, the catch-ups you're having. How many of them are with just other Christians? Just other Christians. If that is a high, high percentage, I want to challenge you that maybe you need to intentionally go out of your way to seek. That's why it's called seek. Jesus left that 99. Intentionally go out of your way and go, you know what? My friends from my sports club. Oh, my friends from school. The mom's like leeching was um, a parent of uh, um, uh, with, with Sophia, right? When Lucas was four. You, we need to like go a little bit out and then um, do some hospitality and interaction. I, I'm reminded of Uncle Roland who offered his sister babysitting for her most problematic child at that time. Uh, who would do that? Free babysitting. That's crazy. Uh, and yet Uncle Roland would take time to babysit me, and then invest that in becoming a friend. And I looked up to Uncle Roland from even that young age. I looked up until now I look up to Uncle Roland. Can you imagine the kind of inf impact that you could have if you're a grandparent and you babysit somebody? Or if you're, you, you, you go up to your brother or your sister who's, who's maybe not saved, and you go, hey, uh, why don't I help you out with something? But it means you're going out of your comfort zone and you're doing some hospitality and not just hospitality to other Christians is what I'm trying to say. Okay, the next thing, which is actually the main thing that Alexi, uh, Jono, and I talked about. So we spent an hour talking about this. Is he was convinced that at church we do not talk often enough about hobbies. About hobbies. Because people get to know each other by doing things that they love together. 
all right? So whether that be line dancing, badminton, the Disney fan club that I go into the city once a month and I bump into people every now and then, um, right? It is so helpful to have a hobby or a passion that you do that's just not surrounded by Christians. So you're doing life together with everybody else. So please don't go. I have so many things going on in my life and my family and my church, church program, church list, that I can't pursue a hobby. That's going to be unhealthy for you even as a person. Right? Um, I hear often, my husband, my husband can't go out for games nights. Can't. You're like, too many things. I'm not going to let my husband go out and... Terrible. Terrible. Oh my goodness. For the kingdom of God, it's terrible. <laughs> my, I hear husbands say to their wives, um, you, you can't have girls nights out. You can't catch up with your old high school friends or we don't have time. You, I'm not... Terrible. Terrible. For the kingdom of God. Have some friendships. Have some hobbies. Meet her because all of our lives are not raising our children, get them good marks at school, do your church program this, church this, church that. It's not all of that. Hobbies allow us to do life side by side. Um, uh, research has showed that we, there's a category of friends that we all need in life. And that is friends to laugh with. Who are the friends that you can laugh with? Chances are, if that group of friends you can laugh with, they will also, um, they will be unguarded with you. Right? Because they can be themselves. That's the group of friends who will really listen or be open when something, when the God moment comes along. So it's, I think it's very, very important. Hobbies. Then the last thing I want to talk about is help. Friends of need. So let's go secular for a moment. All right? I'm going to go very secular. Um, don't worry about whether you're Christian or you're not Christian, right? If you're reading about the rise of loneliness, which is not just something that we talk about at churches. It's something governments are talking about. It's something that uh, insurance companies are talking about, all right? The rise of loneliness. How did we get there? Invariably, of the books that I've read, invariably, you, get, you come across this answer. We don't need each other that much. It's too troublesome to ask for a lift to the airport because I might as well just Uber and I don't have to deal with it. It's too troublesome or I don't want to show that I have a particular need in my life. So instead, I'm going to keep everybody at pretty much per peripheral, shallow level and I'll just sort my own business out. Um, and so we can now acquire things and services. Many things, many services that used to be done by friends. A great way to make friends is to say, can you help me with something? And I know normally the pastor would get up here and say to the church, you have to be very helpful, help other people with things. But I'm just going to take a moment and flip it the other way around. Because asking people for help 
is also very crucial. We are not these perfect lives people who don't need help for anything. And I want to encourage you to not only think, oh, the only person who can help me with moving, the only person who can help me, whatever, is, is, is my home group leader and my friends at church, whatever. No. Because asking for help or helping others turns out to be an amazing way for the best long life friendships to occur. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought, it's more troublesome for me to ask for a favor, so I'll just pay for it. That kind of a phenomenon, I'm giving you the non-technical term for it, is actually causing us as a society to be more lonely and to have less interactions. Uh, I remember when I was, we were in Chicago, uh, this was our driveway. That is the level of snow that has fallen the night before. All right, so if you see on the side, that is how much I had to shovel with, <laughs> with a shovel, basically, three hours uh, at my speed. Anyway, um, one of the things that actually helped me get to know our neighbor, Evan and Hannah, was they helped. They had a snow blower. And so I was able to ask them for help, get help, and we became friends. And now... We're still in contact. In fact, like they manage my bank account over there. Because <laughs> we need a U.S. Okay, anyway. Uh, you know, but it's like so helpful. And we became friends, not because I helped somebody, which I want to encourage you, please do help some people. Please do help. Like, that's fantastic, right? But we're increasingly seeing a wave of Christians who don't ask for help. But a great way to make friends is to be vulnerable and to ask for help. This is a picture of Roger helping me with my barbecue just from yesterday. Because I can't, I can't cook. Uh, but what a great friendship. A brilliant melding of two strengths. Me, the barbecue and the venue. And Roger, expertise on food and everything. And Roger's the best because he also enjoys cleaning. <laughs> so not only does he cook the food, he cleans the whole thing. I'm like, oh, wow, you're like the best friend ever. Okay, so, so, that, okay, so that's how I want to end, right? With just this discussion in church about what it's like to maybe go a bit deeper with our friendships this Christmas season. I'm talking about going deeper than just the, hey, can I, can I catch up once a year with my old high school friend? Oh, Christmas is coming out, better invite the. I'm talking about actually doing life and opening up your life, being vulnerable, being hospitable at a deeper level. In fact, uh, today we were, discuss we were having this uh, staff chat. And uh, yesterday, I couldn't find the key to the bin. Because I was like vacuuming this. Because it turns out polystyrene is very messy. Anyway, so I was the only one here uh, with uh, Jeff, and we were we were um, we were vacuuming up this place, and we couldn't find the key to throw the rubbish into the bin. Anyway, it turns out it was in Jessica. Oh, I don't know if I should say it was someplace hidden, right? And so I was supposed to look in there, and I looked, and I couldn't find it. And today, Quinton sent me the most life profound message that I said I'm going to mention in the service today. He said, the key was there, you just had to look deeper. 
Uh, let me just tell you that if you want to figure out how is it you can reach your friends for Christ, how is it that we can reach Box Hill for Christ, how can we be a good influence to the neighborhood around us, the key is a little bit deeper. That's, that's where it is. Jesus took it to a super deep level. He didn't just go, oh, let me just lay hands on the Zacchaeus and let me just, uh, he'll be fine. No way. He went to the guy's house against tradition. He got to know the person. Like, that's where it is. We have to, we have to seek. We have to seek. We've got to go deep. And we have to save the lost. Jesus went deep with his friends. And he encourages us to do the same. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be talking about, um, I think, our series, Dressed um, for Every Season. That's a good evangelistic series. So you can bring a friend along to church, whatever it is. It, you're prepped up for that. Uh, we're also going to be running some kind of training along the way. But it begins, can I encourage you? It begins with you wanting to take your friendships, your interactions, just that little bit deeper. Because that is how the gospel has gone forward. I'm going to close today's service. I want to give an opportunity for everybody while all eyes are closed. We're going to take time. We're going to pray for our unsaved friends. I'm going to lead our whole church. I want you to think of a relative, a good friend, someone that you're close with. As the Holy Spirit even places his or her name in your heart. We're going to, I'm going to lead us all in praying for that friend. Not that they would, uh, you know, we're not going to pray, oh, can you help me bring them to church next Sunday, whatever it is. I'm going to pray that God would intensify your friendship. That you would be able to go deeper in friendship to the inner parts of the issues of life even. And that your Christ-centeredness, your Christ-centeredness, would rub off in those that you're closest to. Your, your relatives, maybe your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, uh, maybe your best friend, your neighbor, right? So while all eyes are closed, I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, I pray, Lord God, for every name that is mentioned here, every person who is right now in their heart of hearts has a person that they... Um, they long for, that they intercede for, that they pray for. Father God, I, I, I pray, Lord, right now that this season, that you would help us to be better friends, that you would help us to be people who just show God's love the way you did, the way Jesus did. I pray, Lord God, that you would unlock to today intimate friendships, close friendships, that we would be counter the culture that is today. That we would go against the grain today. Go beyond what is just polite. and That we would involve ourselves in other people's lives. We pray for each person that's named here, Lord, that you would open up doors and opportunities for great friendship to develop. And to, as a church, that we would be faithful to the mission that you have tasked us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Thank you for coming to church. Uh, next Sunday, Pastor Roland kicks off our series, Dress for Every Season. If you want to help us out with decoration, come see me. Uh, if you'd like prayer, you're also really welcome to come up and we can, uh, we'd love to pray for you. God bless.